Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Myers & Associates, serving the Midwest with industrial maintenance products and services. Call them at 515-795-3676. Myers & Associates, keeping your operations running. Well, welcome ev- again, everybody. This is Brian Myers, and Shane Vanderhart is off today. He's, I guess he's off uh, chasing... Uh, a college for his daughter to attend or something. I don't know what he's up to. But anyway, he's not here. He got back from Eastern Iowa late last night, and I think he hit the, hit the road again. But anyway, Shane's not here. And so once again, we have a special guest co-host. We have Joel Curtinitis here with us again today. Joel is an opinion columnist for the Des Moines Register. He's a branded contributor to The Blaze and contributing editor, editor at the Liberty Conservative. Good morning, Joel. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me back in. I'm a little bit surprised. I thought I wore out my welcome last time thoroughly, but apparently I wasn't trying hard enough. <laughs> Look, you work me over a little bit today, and, and, and that'll probably be the end of it, okay? I'll, I'll do my best. We also have in studio with us a good friend of mine, Vince Gebhardt. He is from Rhode Island. He is, uh, uh, I guess he and I go back uh, 25 years. and uh, So we brought him in the studio here to see how the sausage is made. And uh, hopefully he will have some incoherent remarks to make every now and again as well. We've got him mic'd up, and he's, he's ready to go. Good morning, Vince. Good morning, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ron. Ron, are you going to keep the wheels on the bus with today? Yes. I don't know what he's doing. He's back there twisting a knob or something. I have to make you sound good, you know. That's impossible. Um, no, not really. Okay. Not All with right. the technology I have. <laughs> Ooh. Listen to that confidence. All right. Enough of that. We have with us on our VIP line a very special guest, a friend of the show, someone who's been on the show multiple times, someone who has been a speaker at, I believe, the second annual Caffeinated Thoughts Briefing. We have with us Faith McDonald. Uh, she is Director of Religious Liberty Programs and of the Church Alliance for a New Sudan at the Institute on Religion and Democracy. And Faith, help me out here because I may not have this one correct, but, but you are also a columnist at the Christian Time, which is a newspaper in South Sudan, Correct. Uh, yeah, I write for a lot of places, but my friend who's the editor of the Christian Time in South Sudan felt that it was really necessary to, to put that there right now. So, um, yep, that's one of my hats. Okay, well, you wear a lot of them. <laughs> I do. Are you, are you kind of the, the uh, single most, uh, how would I say this? The person with the most expertise relative to Sudan, do you think, is that a fair estimate? The, the, the people that run, the people that are running around in think tanks, are are you kind of the go-to person on Sudan? No, I wish I were actually. Um, they, I, the, their go-to person anyway. I I know quite a bit because I've been working on both Sudan and South Sudan for twenty-three years, but um, people have different ideas, and people even have different ideas about uh, 
how things should should look. But, you know, when when you get the information straight from the country with evidence provided, I would think they would listen to you. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about that in just a second. You wrote an article that was published in Breitbart, uh, I don't know, a mm-hmm. week or two ago. In this article, you challenged what is apparently the conventional wisdom that the bad guys in the conflict in Sudan are indeed the government leaders in South Sudan. You said that's not the case at all. But in reality, the real bad guys are the rebel forces. So tell us why you believe that, because apparently the U.S. government and the United Nations don't see it that way. Go. Okay. Well, first of all, you need to be very careful that you don't say Sudan. This is all about South Sudan right now, okay. and uh, the rebels are also South Sudanese, but they are actually being supported and funded by the government of Sudan to the north, the Islamist government, um, just to, to put another bit of confusion into things. Um, and Sudan has rebels of its own who are the good guys. So, you know, it really gets confusing, but what we're talking about is South Sudan, the nation that became a nation in 2011. Uh, in 2013, the, the then vice president um, was sacked from his job by President Salva Kiir. Uh, I know the background of that story, that he had gone to the Islamists and asked them for help overthrowing the president of South Sudan, basically. So, yeah, he got kicked out of his job. I think that President Obama would have kicked Biden out if he had tried to overthrow him, too. But um, Maybe we shouldn't go happened... there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want people to understand. But I get the analogy. But... Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, so this former vice president, Riek Machar, um brought together a group of of rebels to try to take over the government. Um, That happened in December 2013, and the country has been under conflict since then with people being killed. Of course, you've heard about the the hunger in the country, um, people being um, uh, internally and externally displaced as refugees. I mean, thousands crossing the border into Uganda and Kenya. All of this really because of that man, Riyak Mashar, the former vice president. Well, I but heard that just people- over the last three days, close to 25,000 people had been displaced by the fighting down there. I mean, yeah, it sounds like yeah. a complete nightmare. It is. It's, it is a nightmare. Um, and the government of South Sudan and the South Sudan army, um, it's an army. You know, it's an army. It's trying to defend the sovereignty of the country against these rebels. And it does mean that there is fighting going on and that people get displaced. But I'll tell you, a lot of the people who get displaced are really um, the fear mongers tell them, you you need to leave. And so I don't think there would be as many people leaving the country other than the fact that there are those who want to bring down President Keir and the, the legitimate government who are saying that. Um, but well, well, why was your piece so controversial? <laughs> well, what happened was, um, uh, I'll give you one example that everybody in the U.N., in 
even in the U.S. Congress, former friends of the government of South Sudan are talking about uh, the government of South Sudan denying humanitarian access to groups that want to come in and feed these starving people. You've probably seen media headlines that talk about um, looming genocide and also um, famine. Mm-hmm. Um, and blaming the government of South Sudan and saying, you know, they they are denying humanitarian access. Well, my friends who I'm working with in South Sudan, who are in contact with the government, um, saw the office, saw the uh, approved humanitarian forms just for the last 18 months. And my friends uh, estimate that there were at least 25,000 approved humanitarian access forms. And just so, you know, we don't have to um, take somebody's word for it the way the media seems to take the word of the rebels on every situation that happens, we actually have a photograph that shows the piles of these forms. Um, One of my friends said he thinks there's probably 150 to 200 pounds worth of paper. And another point is that they never deny access. You see all of these media and and humanitarian groups, NGOs, and the UN saying South Sudan, government of South Sudan denied access. They never deny it. What they do is they say, hey, if you want to go into the area that's controlled by the rebels, you go at your own risk. Knock yourself out. Yeah, and then the UN translates that as denying access. Um, And not only that, but last November, a group pushed its way in and went to an area that was controlled by the rebels. The rebels ambushed them, as they are wont to do, and uh, they cried out to the SPLA, the South Sudan Army, to come and save them, which they did. And the the SPLA lost 16 of its men saving these uh, smart guys that went into rebel-controlled area. Okay, Faith, we're going to run out of time here fairly soon, mm-hmm. so, and we still got a lot of ground to cover. You wrote, that, <laughs> you wrote that the UN is well aware that the requests for access that have been denied, uh, that, that these are these are things that are happening in in territory that's in uh, control of the rebels. So why mm-hmm. would why uh, would they blame? I'm talking about the UN here. Why would the UN mm-hmm. blame the South Sudanese government? Oh boy. Well, I think the U.N. would like to see President Kiir go down as well. There have been um, talking heads uh, like former Sudan Special Envoy Andrew Natsios and a woman named uh, Kate Almquist who have said that South Sudan should be under U.N. trusteeship. Well, they may trust them in the you know loving embrace of the U.N., but first of all, the the, the the South Sudan government considers itself a sovereign government, a democracy that they modeled after the United States. And you don't mess with a sovereign government like that. And people who fought against the Islamists for, for decades, they will fight to the death to keep that from happening. It will be a slaughter. Secondly, um, the U.N. would love to get a hold of the resources of South Sudan. You know, everybody knows about oil, but it goes 
far beyond oil. Um, you know, even to, to little things that don't seem like a big deal, like coffee, coffee beans that the um, Texas A&M discovered that are brand new. Uh, you know, nobody's seen this kind of coffee bean before. Second, um, shea butter. You know, every uh, cosmetic company uses shea butter, and it grows in South Sudan. Um, but, you know, more important things, too, like gold. But uh, the U.N. would would be set forever uh, if they had control of that. Now, you know, I mean, I sound like a conspiracy theorist saying that, but I think there's a lot of uh, weight behind that argument. And um, uh, there will be more information, more documentation, more video coming out uh, about that issue from our friends in South Sudan. So I, I have a question for you real quick. Um, <clears throat> the U.N. stance on a lot of these um, you know, conflicts that have been going on in, in the Middle East and Africa over the last few years has taken a very active role, and they've you know, talked about sending in peacekeepers and forming these alliances to go in and control the violence. Where, where is that in this discussion? Is, is there any place for that? Is the U.N. even considering that kind of thing, or are they just going to let it all play out and keep sending food? Oh, no, no, they're there. The, the U.N. presence in South Sudan is called UNIMIS the UN in uh, South Sudan, and uh, they are there, but the peacekeepers at times are part of the problem. Other times they just don't do anything, but the rebels are actually um, using UN camps as kind of their, their shelter at times, too. So they will, you know, go out and ambush people that uh, are pro-government, and then they'll come back and, and hide in the camps and pretend that they're just refugees. Um, and, you know, who knows if the U.N. knows about that or not, or if they're just being snookered like everybody else. Well, that's amazing. I mean, we, we really, I, I know I have heard almost nothing of this. I mean, I, I know there's there's conflict over there, but that's about it. You know, all the news stays on ISIS and Syria and what's happening up there. Mm-hmm. We don't hear anything about this over here, and I, and I feel like it's, it's uh, a case where we're kind of removed from it. Yeah, well, and if you do hear, you're going to hear the wrong thing, I'm sorry to say. Um, you know, the Congress has been having all of these hearings lately on South Sudan, and everyone is blaming the government. And uh, for three years, I've watched this happening and not known what to do about it, because from the day that Machar uh, staged his coup against the government in December of 2013, I've had friends calling me from the ground from where it happened, telling me what was going on and knowing the truth and not being able to do anything about it. But the friends that I'm working with now are in there investigating and getting to the real truth and getting um, documentation. So, you know, I'm going to be doing an article about another fake news story that was actually on foxnews.com that had the title, South Sudan government slaughters civilians. Yeah. I mean, they, they don't even say allegedly. Um, and uh, and we have the, the video to show what actually happened there, which was basically nothing. Um, they, they make things out of whole cloth, and because nobody bothers to investigate, they get away with it. It's, it's just mind-blowing. Well, and at the same time, the, uh, the government in Khartoum uh, is neck deep in all kinds of trouble. You wrote in, in your article that they're currently perpetrating three, three genocidal wars in the Nuba Mountains, right. the Blue Nile State, and in Darfur, uh, where we've got starvation conditions, 
And you mentioned chemical weapons, even. Yes. So yes. these guys that are has, big trouble. That They are, but nobody seems to be doing anything about that. Um, Ambassador Haley has not gone to the U.N. Security Council and asking for sanctions against Sudan, and in fact, President Obama lifted sanctions on Sudan before he left office. Um, and we had, I think it was 18 months to decide whether we wanted them put in place again. And of course, Sudan, it's not not only genocide, you know, I mean, that sounds terrible, but it's not only genocide. The government of Sudan is very, very connected to to jihad, global jihad around the world, to ISIS. We have documentation from the Islamic State of Sudan talking about things that they are doing, talking about giving money uh, to Hamas and, uh, you know, all kinds of things. Just unbelievable. Well, Faith, thank you very much for coming on the show again. It's always good to talk to you. Oh, thank you, Brian. Great to be with you. All right, folks, that was Faith McDonald of the Institute on Religion and Democracy. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment with more from Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Hi, this is Brian Myers of Myers & Associates. If you're involved in maintenance at a manufacturing plant, you know how costly it can be when a machine goes down. And if the reason that machine went down is because the electronic controls on it failed, it can really be problematic if those electronics are obsolete. Well, not to worry. We represent Providence Industrial Electronics Repair and they can get your machine up and running in no time. They repair boards, drives, servo motors, light curtains, you name it. So if you need industrial electronics repaired at your plant, or if you have other industrial maintenance needs, give me a call at 515-490-2640. That's Myers & Associates, 515-490-2640. Myers & Associates, keeping your operations running. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio with Brian Myers and Joel Curtinitis sitting in for Shane Vanderhart. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Travis Rizvold of Modern Woodman of America. Call Travis at 515-883-0029. He can help you find the life insurance you need. <laughs> well, he's a little late on, a little slow on the draw, but we got him there. All right. On the VIP line with us this morning, in this segment, we have another friend of the show, a guy who's spoken at, I believe, two out of our three Caffeinated Thoughts uh, briefings. We have with us Dr. E. Calvin Beisner. Dr. Beisner is a founder and national spokesman for the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation and holds degrees from the University of Southern California, International College Los Angeles, and the University of of St. Andrews. Good morning, Cal. Thanks for coming on Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Good morning. Glad to be back with you. All right, Cal. So last Saturday was Earth Day, and you've been bu- right. you've been busy, I hear. Have you been in Illinois all week? I have. Well, uh, actually flew in on Tuesday, spoke up in Rockford Tuesday night, uh, Arlington Heights Wednesday morning and evening, and in uh, Orland Park uh, last night, and tonight I speak in Peoria. 
So I'm oh. headed west anyway. Okay, so you have been you have been speaking at multiple events uh, for the Illinois Family Institute. I I understand, correct? Right. Yeah, they wanted me to come and speak on uh, climate change and the Christian uh, sort of you know, what's true, what's false, and what's our responsibility. And it's been a lot of fun. Had some really good crowds and great response. And uh, uh, my, my point has basically been, yeah, human activity probably contributes, uh, at least theoretically, something to global average temperature change. But probably so little that it's not detectable. But it's certainly not dangerous and not worth spending trillions of dollars on when that money, when that money could instead be spent to provide pure drinking water, sewage sanitation, uh, nutrition supplements, infectious disease control, better housing, electricity, and so on, that would do far more to protect people's health and life than anything that we can do to try to control global climate. Well, now, if I understood this correctly, you got word ahead of time that your lecture on Tuesday was going to be pro- protested. Do I do I have that? Yeah, that, yeah that's correct. Um, and uh, a fellow wrote a column very, very liberal, Rockford, uh, let's see, Rockford Star something or other. Anyway, he wrote a column there inviting people to make up their own signs and come to uh, unmask me and the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. The really fun thing to me was that I was able to establish email correspondence with this columnist. With that with that guy? You, okay. Yes. And I think there's some good communication happening. He actually found out that I was not uh, not a troglodyte, uh, <laughs> but I have that I actually think. And in fact, I called him frankly on his. But you are a Presbyterian, so <laughs> yeah. Well, true. <laughs> and an old-fashioned one. I actually really strongly agree with Westminster Confession and Catechism. But uh, this fellow is a community therapist and has written about the importance of, of peaceable communication and so on. So I said, is that what you're doing with me? And I think that opened the door. So anyway, the, the cool thing to me is I'm actually getting to influence somebody from the other side here. So you've been able to have some reasonable dialogue with this guy. Because, I mean, I, I, read yeah. that, I read that article. and It was pretty dead. Yeah. yeah, it was nasty. Yeah, but actually, I I met him, I talked with him and some of the uh, protesters who were arriving early at the scene, and uh, I kind of had some fun with him. I asked him a couple of questions. Uh, I said, hey, do you know how much the EPA says that the clean power plan will reduce global average temperature? And of course, they, you know, their eyes blazed over. They had no idea. And then they said, well, to you? And I said, yeah, I do, but I'm not going to tell you. You need to find that out for yourself. Do a, look it up. Do a little work here. And then I said, do you know how much the uh, Paris Climate Agreement would reduce global average temperature, and do you know how much it would cost? And again, of course, they had no idea. And I said, well, again, I'm not going to tell you. You need to look that up. If you're going to advocate for something, mm-hmm. you need to actually know something about it. Now, of course, the answer is, on the clean power plan, the EPA itself said that it will make no difference in global average temperature. So we're spending two or $300 billion a year to do For the Paris Climate Agreement, well, full implementation would reduce global average temperature 
by 2100 by three-tenths of a degree Fahrenheit. It will cost us between $1 and $2 trillion a year. That's 70 to $140 trillion. So it works out to about $23.3 to $46.6 billion per, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a, a trillion, 23.3 to $46.6 trillion per tenth of a degree reduction in global average temperature. That's I'm okay. We, look, that's we could, no, we could just print the money and borrow the rest from the Chinese. Where's, you the, where's the problem? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's assuming nobody else builds anything, advances anything, or does anything in that time frame, right? I mean, it's not, right. it's not like the whole yeah. world's industrializing. <laughs> right. Well, of course, the Paris Climate Agreement basically entails deindustrialization, since it entails we've got to get rid of all the fossil fuels, but there is simply no way to replace all the energy that we will lose by getting rid of the fossil fuels. Unless, of course, we go really, really heavy pro-nuclear, and <laughs> the Greens aren't exactly eager to do that. You know, I think at one time there was an opportunity for nuclear power to move forward. You could see the people on the left were taking a hard look at it for the first time in yeah. 40 years. And then that disaster in Japan happened, and that yeah. was the end of that. Yeah, uh, well, I I still think that over the long haul it's going to come back. I, I, I think it's pretty well inevitable there is simply no no better source of energy for us than nuclear. And it's clean, it's safe, it's a tremendously long supply chain. I mean, we're, I mean we, there's no way that we would run out of, of uh, fissionable material in hundreds of thousands of years, let alone thousands. So we're going to go there. It's just going to take a while for people eventually to learn that the Greens have been crying wolf all along. Well, here in Iowa, Cal, uh, we have gone full-bore windmill. I, I mean, in fact, uh, oh, yes. Vince and I just this morning, were we got up with the chickens and went out and played basketball really early this morning, and we were driving up uh, uh, the highway north towards Ames, and off in the, in the distance, um, off to the north and to the east, there was just Windmill after windmill after windmill on the horizon is you know, basically as far as the eye could see. Aren't those beautiful? And, <laughs> Aren't those beautiful? Don't they just do all <laughs> sorts of wonders for the landscape? I mean, it's neat having all these Cuisinarts in the sky chewing up the birds. They're so pretty. <laughs> You're brutal. You're brutal. But no, Mid-American Energy has made a huge commitment to alternative energy sources, and, and wind is yep. wind is the is the thing. It, it is getting more controversial now that there's more and more of those those bad boys up all over the place. Yeah. Um, but the but the big problem is, and I, again, I'm confident nobody knows this, or very few people are aware of it. But if you take the subsidies out of the equation at every level of of, yeah. of wind, you know whether whether it's you're giving subsidies to the people that are manufacturing the stuff, or yeah. the people that are installing the stuff, the the energy companies that are that are utilizing the stuff, you take this, the subsidies out of the equation, the whole thing falls on its face. Yeah, there's, there's more to it than that. This is a deeper, darker, and more vicious secret. You know, actually, You're not going to get conspiratorial, sure. conspiratorial on me, are you? <laughs> oh, there's no conspiracy going okay. on here at all. There's just simple, simple idiocy. Never, <laughs> never, never uh, blame on conspiracy, what you can blame on idiocy. So uh, here's the deal. Onshore wind farms can actually generate electricity cheaper than conventional coal. 
Um, <laughs> the problem is this. Because the wind is intermittent, you mm-hmm. have to back them up with coal or natural gas plants yep. running 24 hours a day at spinning reserve. Now, spinning reserve is inefficient. It actually puts more CO2 into the atmosphere than if you're running them full blast. So instead of fighting global warming the way these people think, they're actually contributing more to it. However, at the same time, you have to pay for running those coal or natural gas plants in the background. Now, it's, it's like the government telling you, look, you have to own two cars. One's an electric car, and it's going to run when it wants to. The other is a gas-powered car. You have to keep that in your garage to use when the electric car doesn't happen to want to work. However, you have to keep it running in your garage on a, a car treadmill that has it <laughs> running as if it's, it's going uphill at 30 miles an hour all the time, the least efficient way you could possibly do it. You've got to pay for both. So when you add in the cost of running the backup, to the cost of running the wind farm, instead of being cheaper than conventional coal, it's more expensive. So, hey, you guys in Iowa, you're going to watch your rates climb as subsidies disappear. I, you know, I, I'm coming at this from my, my, my natural bent is a little more libertarian, so I can't help but hear something like that and think, and these are the people they want to take over health care and transportation uh-huh. and everything. <laughs> you, you've got to be kidding me. Especially Windmill technology has been around forever. This is not something new. And then the power generation element of it, getting subsidized by everything, we're running into the same uh, problem here with ethanol, of course, which is which is the subject of yeah. uh, upcoming it, research that I'm doing. That. But, yeah, yeah it, good old ethanol that, that keeps 50% of America's corn crop off the food market around the world, drives up food prices, starves people, and causes food riots, and contributed to the Arab Spring. Yeah, that's really a smart idea, isn't it? <laughs> Cal, we got about three. Besides the fact that it actually winds up with more CO2 going into the atmosphere, the dingbats who think that this is fighting global warming, it's just amazing. Dingbats. All right, write that down, Ron. Cal said dingbat on the air. Cal, we've got about three. Yeah, we've got about three minutes left, Cal. I got to ask you about uh, what happened in in Birmingham. So, back in Birmingham, Alabama, there was an incident that went largely unreported in the mainstream media. Yep. And that was yeah. that the outside of Dr. John Christie's office was more or less sprayed with bullets on Earth That's Day. Right. Can you tell us, first yeah. of all, who John Christie is and why this incident well, is significant? Dr. John Christie is principal research scientist and the head of the uh, Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at the University of Alabama in Huntsville. He and his colleague, Dr. Roy Spencer, who is also a senior fellow for the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, run NASA's uh, satellite program that gives us the best global temperature data in the world and has been doing that since 1979. Their work shows that the climate models that the UN, IPCC, and other alarmists depend on uh, exaggerate the warming effect of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere by at least double, probably triple, if not more, and they have been probably the biggest uh, grain of sand in the, in, the, in the works of the climate alarmist movement. Well, sometime Saturday, uh, after the, the uh, so-called March for Science, which was really a march for, for troglodism, I just coined a term. Uh, sometime Saturday, somebody about 70 yards away in a little grassy spot fired seven shots at the building in which John Christie's office is. They 
They clustered in the window and around the window of an office right next to his. Um, and this pretty well surely has to have been some sort of a warning against Dr. Christie and Dr. Spencer by some climate alarmist. And it's similar to what we got from a climate alarmist in Colorado a couple of days ago who, who uh, opined in a letter to the editor there that he thinks it'd be perfectly fine for snipers to shoot workers in uh, uh, natural gas drilling fields uh, because, after all, uh, putting CO2 into the atmosphere is murder. Why not murder them? Well, this is, this is a faith-based thing, right? I mean, at this point, they're following through on what they believe. If they believe that our resistance is going to cause millions of deaths by— I mean, we, Christians, they feel the same way. Why do Christians get so passionate about abortion? Because we believe it's killing people. I mean, it's common yeah. sense, right? So this, this, right. this looks but to me like a kind exactly of a faith-based reaction in, they have. Yeah, but we don't exactly believe in going out and murdering the other side. Oh, of course. <laughs> that's the difference. We, we have morality. Really? <laughs> we, we're people of the Word, people of the Logos. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was God, and the Logos was God. We believe in, in argumentation. They don't. That was Dr. Cal Beisner of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. Hi, this is Brian Myers. When I needed a better life insurance plan, I found it with Travis Riswold of Modern Woodman of America. When I first met Travis, he wasn't like some other life insurance agents that can be pushy and try to get you to buy something. Travis just made himself available to me. That was it. He told me to let him know if and when I needed anything, and he stayed in touch. When the day came and I did need to make some changes with my life insurance, Travis met with me and walked me through several options so I could make an informed decision. Ultimately, it was the best decision for my situation. So if you need a better or the best life insurance plan for you, call my friend Travis Riswold with Modern Woodman. His number is 515-883-0029. Travis Riswold with Modern Woodman. He can help you find the life insurance you need. Call him at 515-883-0029. Welcome to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio, a stimulating look at culture, current events, faith, and politics from a Christian and conservative point of view. We don't just talk on the radio, we blog too. Check us out at caffeinatedthoughts.com. Now grab a cup of coffee and join us. This is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Welcome back to Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Caffeinated Thoughts Radio is brought to you in part by Crosswalk Ministries and Scott Owen, who we played basketball with just this morning. Scott offers biblical counseling and conciliation. Give him a call at 515-292-7141 or check them out at www.crosswalkcounseling.org. How's his hook shot? Uh, he's, not, he's not into hook shots. Oh, okay. Yeah, but he does take the ball to the basket very well. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. No, he got hurt this morning and couldn't play very long. So I hope he get... Scott, get better. We need some more warm bodies on the court. This is Brian Myers with Joel Curtinitis sitting in for the illustrious Shane Vanderhart. Yeah, you're sitting in the big dog's chair. Did you know that? Well, yeah, but I'm still back on the fact that I didn't get an invite to any morning basketball. You know, can you believe this? People these days. You're way too young. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not the athletic yeah, type. I'm you're a millennial. You ain't coming. Oh, there it is. There it is right there. The ageism. Bias and discrimination. I know it, right? Absolutely. Can you believe this? All right. right. I'm good at one thing. He says the guy's good at going to the basket. I'm good at standing there and blocking people from getting to the basket. All so, right. you know. All right. Let's get on with it. 
This is our news segment, otherwise known affectionately as News You Can Use. First up, from the Washington Post. President Trump had promised religious groups that he would reverse the Obama administration's requirement that employers provide birth control to their employees under the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare or Abomination Care. But his Justice Department indicated Monday that it's not yet giving up a fight with religious schools and nonprofits that are suing over the contraception mandate. The department has asked the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit for an additional 60 days to negotiate with East Texas Baptist University and several other religious groups objecting to a requirement to which they are morally opposed. The request doesn't necessarily mean that justice plans to continue defending the mandate. The agency could be buying extra time as the new administration figures out its next move. But this is scary, okay? You'd think with with Jeff Sessions, we shouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, where is Jeff Sessions? Where is he? He he was the white knight that was that was going to go in there and, and take care of all this stuff in the Justice Department, all the fiascos that were left over from the Obama administration. Where is he? Where is he in this? So, I mean, and, and I've seen speculation that maybe they're going to drop it and they're just looking for another move, but why would you even send that signal when you've got the whole country, you know, sending you a mandate with this election? Why would you even send that signal by hesitating and saying, we're going to review this, unless, of course, you, you know, never plan to get rid of it all along. Exactly. And, and, and here's the thing. This, this was one of the most objectionable things that came out of the ACA. Well, right. I mean, I mean Ted Cruz basically campaigned on this. Yeah. And, and as did several of the other candidates. And this is a huge deal. And what, you know, we've got the Trump administration, a Republican administration, that's looking at, okay, well, give us some more time. We want to see if we really want to pursue this objectionable, horrible policy and actually sue some nuns over it, you know? Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. They, they had the, those nuns had an interesting name, too. Was it the Sisters of the yeah, Poor little, or little something? Yeah, Little Sisters of the Poor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, let's I mean the top 10 signs your government's probably not doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's suing the little sisters of the poor. <laughs> okay, next up from Caffeinated Thoughts. We know those guys. This might be Shane Vanderhart. On Friday, former US Secretary of Labor Tom Perez, the new chair of the DNC, that would be Democratic National Committee, said that his party will only support candidates who back abortion rights for women. Quote, every Democrat, like every American, should support a woman's right to make her own choices about her body and her health. Unquote. Perez said in a statement, that is not negotiable and should not change city by city or state by state. I guess he's not a federalist. (laughs) At a time when women's rights are under assault from the White House, the Republican Congress and in states across the country, he added, we must speak up for this principle as loudly as ever and with one voice. That was really dramatic. Really well done. You like that? Yeah, I like that. But uh, you know, is the, this guy a moron or what? There's yeah. Uh, okay, so I have I have a little bit of a different um, emphasis on this because Maybe. you you sort of mentioned it because the, the, he's not a federalist. This is to me this is what's going to bring down among other things the Democratic Party. It's this insistence on, on top-down uniformity because there are people that object to this. They're actively chewing up and spitting out their own people for any semblance of dissent the same way they do with conservatives who dissent on climate change or anything else. They're eating their own. 
And that is a tremendous opportunity for a legitimate small government group to get in there and say, you know what, there's no reason that Democrats in Nebraska should have to agree with everything that Democrats in New York believe. That, that's just not that, – that can't sustain itself much longer. Mm-hmm. Our society is way too advanced for that now. Well, especially given the extremity of the views – by some of these folks, like in the Northeast or in Southern California and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and they're losing this argument. There's two arguments that Democrats are definitively losing nationwide, in my opinion. One is gun rights, and the other one is abortion. The The younger generation is proving it. My generation is the most pro-life generation since Roe v. Wade. That's they're the one good thing about you guys. They are statistically losing this fight, and if the, the more they double down on it, the harder, they're, the quicker they're going to lose it. Next up, this is from a website called Now the End Begins. Is Alex Jones' other site? (laughs) All right. The nation's first transgender Baptist preacher spoke to a National Baptist gathering on April 8th, explaining that the doctor who delivered him as a baby baby was wrong in declaring him a boy. (laughs) And that it was a, quote, angel of reason, unquote, that caused him to accept his inclinations to identify as a woman. I probably shouldn't have laughed at that because it's really kind of sad. But, I mean, the, the doctor was wrong when, when he was delivered. He wasn't really a boy. The doctor was wrong. The doctor was blind. The doctor was blind. Yeah. Uh, I, no, it, I, it, 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 is, it is sad. And, and, and I think there's, there's kind of two elements of this, right? I mean, there's, there's the normal you know, transgender debate that the nation's having right now that I, I believe is as much mysticism as, as you know, anything else. There's not a lot of science involved in it. But at the same time, um, there's the, I think, much more important church debate, which is, you know, how is this, how is this uh, you know, view of, of inclusion in, in the new wave church, what, what is that going to do to us as mm-hmm. a faith in this country? You know, and, and it's not that, I mean, it's not that there's anything about that that's, that's any worse than, you know, any other, mm-hmm. you know, billionaire, super pastor or whatever. There's a lot of, of sin in the church. That's not the problem. But, but this emphasis on um, fatalism, if you will. Well, I'm just, this is how I am, and God loves me anyway, so I'm just going to roll with it no matter how, you know, how, how unreasonable it is. And, and I think that's the danger, and I read a, a really good article on that about these people that are dangerous to the church because of their authenticity. They go in broken and obviously broken to everyone, and people are attracted to that because it comforts them in their own. And, and I think that there's, there's a danger in the, in the authenticity of it to, to believers in this country. Well, we've talked about this on, a, on the show a number of different times. I think the real problem, certainly, and I don't, I don't mean to hammer on you young folks, <laughs> but I think your generation more so than mine, there's a, there's a real problem with Romans 12. It's Romans, Romans 12, 1, where we have the mandate not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Mm-hmm. And... That somehow has been excised from the scriptures in terms of of how many in the church, uh, you know, are are uh, are pursuing are per- perceiving these issues. Mm-hmm. So that, that's my my concern. I mean, I would argue that started back in the fifties, sometime. You no, know, never, the, never. The, never. The, I mean, hippie culture and a lot a lot of things really you know contributed to that, which is part of the reason that I think it's still valuable that we have um, some of the, the super conservative branches of the church here. We I was actually raised in a brethren church which is you know, one step down from the Amish, and, and they really value separation from the world. And so taking that experience with me into the world and saying, look, you don't have to conform in order to follow Christ. Like You can be attractive to the world by your distinction. Well, and here's, here's the thing. We, I think you used the word was rolled over 
and I think I think we see that so frequently in the church nowadays, where we have a clear, clear mandate from Scripture about what we're supposed to do, or what we're supposed to think, or what we're supposed to believe. And because that's not that's not where the culture's at, it's just easier to flow, you know, to roll over and flow with it, you know. And that's a shame. All right, folks, this is Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. We'll be back in a moment with more silliness. And maybe an observation or two. Put me on the cover of the Rolling Stone Uptown Down Home American Kids. She gets her temper from me because her mother still has hers. Your humorous quip was to cover for your child's tantrum, but you are closer to the truth than you may realize. I'm Scott Owen with Crosswalk Ministries of Central Iowa, and it's time to pause for peace. So, is uncontrolled anger a nurture or a nature issue? Well, yes. The Bible says that we are born with a sin nature passed down from the first earthly father, Adam. This means that each emotion, including anger, is impacted by sin. But it is also true that sinful responses to anger can be observed, mimicked, and ingrained. God says to be angry without sinning. You can condition your thinking to bring your anger under control by nurturing it with biblical truth. Is your anger impacting your peace with God and others? Call Crosswalk Ministries at 515-635-5465 or visit online at crosswalkcounseling.org. Hey, do you want to take advantage of the marketing potential within social media for your company or organization, but you're not so sure how? Let Shane help. His company, 415 Communications LLC, is a social media consulting firm that works with groups like yours. Go to 415communications.com or give him a call at 515-321-5077. And now, it's time for Ron's favorite feature on Caffeinated Thoughts Radio. Due to the incredible sheer volume of material we have available, because the leader of the free world loves Twitter. Today, we're once again ending the show with this feature. So, without further delay, drum roll, please. <laughs> May I present to you the top Trump tweet of the week? Yeah, you cut that off awfully quick. Well, I was know, into it. No, they, they cut exci- it off pretty they, quick. They got excited because Greg Lake walked in, you know, and did the gong thing. So, what can we say? Inside joke, folks. A little seventies rock and roll humor there. Okay, I missed it. You would the seventies, not the humor. It, stop. <laughs> Well said, sir. Well said. Uh, okay, this is from three twenty in the morning. He does his best work at, at you know around three o'clock. Absolutely, three twenty a.m. on April twenty sixth. First, the Ninth Circuit rules against the ban, and now it hits again on sanctuary cities. Both ridiculous rulings. See you in the Supreme Court. All right, so what what is President Trump talking about? This is from CNN. Washington. 
A federal judge on Tuesday blocked the Trump administration from enforcing a threat to take away funds from sanctuary cities. The latest blow from the federal judiciary to President Donald Trump's immigration agenda. In this ruling, Judge William H. Oreck sided with a Santa Clara County, the city with, excuse me, with Santa Clara County, the city of San Francisco and other jurisdictions who argued that a threat to take away federal funds from cities that do not cooperate with some federal immigration enforcement could be unconstitutional. Well, look, my thought on this always has been, regardless of what you think about Trump's policies, these these courts that are busy trying to block him, they don't have any more constitutional uh, uh, ground in what they're arguing than he does. Yeah, I mean, that's that's to, to put it mildly, right? But I, I, I look at things like this, and I'm like, I, I can't believe that the underlying system is going unchallenged, which is, I mean, to, to me, the first question I look at is, why are these cities getting federal money? Why are the states all getting federal money? Why is federal money going everywhere? And this is this is exactly oh, why, you, right? you're just a libertarian. Well, I'm not just, I, I actually, <laughs> this, this, this is my identity as a federalist coming out, which is, I, I don't think the federal government has any business shelling off money to these people, and, and that's been the strings that have been used to get compliance from the state and federal government forever. And the funny part is Did it's predominantly liberals that push that. They're the ones who want the money going to that central government so that they can then put strings out on everyone else say, hey, you want money, Iowa? I guess you better set up a health care exchange. Now, but now I do think this has been interesting, watching the left start to move towards federalism just a wee bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, like like with the secession movement in in California right. and so on. Right, it's just, it's just too precious. Isn't oh, it's it? fantastic! I actually so I have a uh, a meeting next weekend with a young liberal activist around here who was a Bernie guy, hated Hillary, and he's interested in the Federalist Party because he he does not he's t- done with the centralization. He's done with his own party being top down driven. He's done with the government being top down. He's he's looking at this going the other. The rest of the world has moved on from that. We're being innovative and apathetic and collaborative government's behind the times well on that note i believe we will end the show (laughs) okay joel thanks again for coming on the show hey thanks for putting up with me oh no problem we'll probably do that again and vince gabbard thanks for sitting in i wish you would have talked a bit more ron thanks for keeping the wheels on the bus this is caffeinated thoughts radio we'll see you next week